Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode had Jonathan Dunn on the podcast. He's a coach, he's a mentor, he's a speaker, he's a trainer. He's somebody who believes that every single person should have a personal mission statement. I think this episode is going to inspire you and encourage you. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, thanks for checking out another episode of the podcast. Today's episode is special. We're talking about mission. Mission, yeah, mission. We're talking about why mission is king. And in fact, I'm sitting down with a friend of mine, Jonathan Dunn, who believes that every human being should have their own personal mission statement. In fact, his own personal mission statement is that he can wake up every day leaving people better off. He's a coach, he's a trainer, he's a speaker, he's amazing. Jonathan, thank you for being here today. Blake, uh, thank you for the wonderful introduction. And uh, I don't know that people will see my face, but if I look a little bit red right now, (laughs) correct. It's not just because I live in Palm Beach, Florida, and it is sunny right now. It is because I am blushing. (laughs) And just to share with everyone in the audience, um, back in 2012, I had a very, very great best friend. Uh, Jay Folk, one of the greatest human beings I ever met. He had a heart for service. He had a crazy cool commitment to leave the world better off for his life. And we were inseparable. And I was very close to his family, his wife, Sheila, his three-year-old daughter, Lily. And one day, uh, Jay dropped off the grid, stopped taking my calls. He stopped showing up. And finally, about a month later, um, he called me and I, I jumped to answer the phone. Jay, Jay, what's what's going on? And there was a lot of silence and uh, very dramatic silence. And um, he told me, John, I'm I'm sorry, I've been unavailable. I was diagnosed with stage four liver cancer, and I have been asked to get my affairs in order. And it wasn't a surprise to me that he wasn't going to give up, and he wanted to help. Ask me, his best friend to help him fight the battle for his life. And it was in going over to his house every day and seeing the ravages of chemotherapy and what happened to him and in some amazing conversations. Uh, There's a great book called Tuesdays with Maury about a college professor and one of his students and them having coffee every Tuesday discussing his Lou Gehrig's disease. I kind of had that as my own experience uh, back then. And as Jay did, he died. He he didn't make it. And when I was with him the night before he died, he asked me to look over, stay in contact with his wife, uh, be a father figure to his daughter. And my mission statement was actually Jay's. Hmm. And he shared that idea with me back then. I was a very broken person back then. 
but he said it with such a conviction that not one day has gone by since the loss of my best friend where I didn't wake up and recite that mission out to the world, uh, be very committed to that mission, no matter what was going on in life. Um, and I tell you, it's been right up there with one of the greatest gifts I've ever received and uh, happy that his legacy lives on through me. And one of the things I do is my job now is teach people to write their own mission statement. Hmm. Well, you, you talk with so much conviction. I mean, it's obvious that, you know, this is something that burns inside you, right? Like it's, it's not fluff. It's not something that you, you, you didn't see a quote off a wall somewhere and was like, yeah, I like that. It's something very real and tangible to you. But on the flip side, I, I know, and I'm sure you do as well, people, and it's not just age, it's not just like an 18 or 19 year old, although you see it happen in those buckets, even people into their 30s and 40s who really don't even know, you ask that question of like, what's your personal mission statement? And they're like, I, I, don't even, I don't even know what I like, you know, I don't even know what I like to do. What, what, how do you help people move towards that conviction you have now? Man, I, <laughs> I can go on major tangents and I love <laughs> everything you just said. And I want to just share with people an idea that if you don't know where you're going, you are lost. And, you know, Henry David Thoreau over 150 years ago said everyone, you know, most people would lead lives of quiet desperation. Uh, I think if he was to come back from the grave, he wouldn't change his mind right now. Um, and that is where most people are at. They're, they're, they're lost. They've been socially engineered as to what matters. And one of the first things that I do with people to get them calibrated, Blake, is to go back to the day they were born and to ask them the question, were they born as a human being? And of course, people laugh. They think it's kind of a silly question, but they acknowledge, yes, I was born as a human being. And I say, all right, good. We're on the same page here. So would you agree when you were born that you had a physical side? And they say, I have a physical side. And I say, would you agree the physical side requires rest, nutrition, exercise? And they say, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And then I throw out the question of, do you know what the number one voluntary killer is of people in this world? And most people don't know if you do, and it's ignoring those three needs. And then I ask them, do you agree you were born with an emotional side? They say, I was definitely agree. I was born with an emotional side, which is where most challenges uh, arise in people's lives. And then an intellectual side and then a spiritual side. And then I get them to kind of reflect where they're at in those four areas. Uh, the Buddhists of the world have been doing personal daily reflections for thousands of years. And yet it's something that we don't do in this great country enough. We're always very, uh, you know, tell people what they have to see instead of teaching them how to see. So I teach them how to start seeing themselves through those four realms probably a longer conversation than the podcast will allow. But I ask them to kind of grade themselves. Where are you at physically? Where are you at emotionally? Where are you at intellectually? Where are you at independent of anyone's religious belief, uh, spiritually? Just simply, do you believe there's a purpose to your life? 
most people agree there's a purpose to their life. So I ask them to grade themselves in those four areas. And then I do a Myers-Briggs test on them. Uh, you know, a great revealing of kind of their, their natural gifts. And then I just have them sit back and listen to me as I read to them their gifts. Mm-hmm. And then I read to them their opportunities for growth in that area. And then I kind of ask them what they really want to latch on to, what they really want to latch on to, like what really stands out to them and their personality. Uh, it's usually something that's been repressed. And uh, I have them write their mission statement off of that data and to just wake up for 30 days and stick with whatever they write it out as. And then we, then we go from there, but that's the initial building block. But usually if people will study who they are as a person and come to grips with that, they can write a pretty awesome mission statement within mm-hmm. a 45 minutes. Yeah. And it feels like, it feels like some people, cause I mean, you know, these people are in levels, right? You have the person who's like totally, and man, you said it, it was powerful what you said. People who are literally lost. I mean, lost, like don't know, you know, and we, and we, when we think of that word lost, a lot of times we think of like in, you know, some like chaotic circumstance, like you're in drug addiction, you're in, you know, maybe an abusive relationship, like really awful circumstances. But really, I mean, it feels like you could be going to even your job, excuse me, going to your job, living life quote, but be totally and completely lost because you don't have that direction. You don't have that sense of, I guess, why is what it is. You know, I mean, it looks like you're about to say something. Go ahead. No, no, I'm just listening to you, man. Uh, and it's great. You're, you're spot on, brother. Well, and was, really what I want to dig into is, you know, you have the person who's there, but then you have, and like, I guess the opposite is the person like yourself where there's so much clarity and there's conviction. It's like, this is why I'm pressing forward. But then you have that person in the middle who they, they know the life they have now is not what they want, but they feel stuck. And, and a great example of this, a friend of mine, he hates his job, hates it, but he has four kids. And so he's like, man, I don't, I see the person I, the direction I want to go, but I also feel this burden of responsibility. And it's not just that I've even talked, talked to other friends of mine who even entrepreneurship in general, they're like, man, I want to go start this business, but I have you know, I have responsibilities, right? I have these kids to take care of. I have my, my spouse. Do you have any advice for the person who's in that awkward middle buffer? Yeah, no. And I mean, you hit another one of my very, very passionate areas. I mean, just recently, I was with my 13-year-old nephew, Reese, who I love dearly. And he says, Uncle John, I'm so stressed out. And I said, Reese, you're 13. What are you, what are you stressed <laughs> out about? He goes, I don't know what I want to do with the rest of my life. I said, Reese, you don't need to know what you want to do with the rest of your life at 13. But here we have all of these people, myself included. I had been abused as a child, that kind of abuse. And my best friend, Rachel, had died of something called Rice Syndrome, uh, seven years old. Nobody ever talked about it. And kind of in all of our lives, we have this moment where we lose our happiness and we feel like we can't 
find it. And I will just tell you, I was one of those people that lost my happiness and was trying to find it. Uh, I let society tell me what I needed. And I believed I needed a sports car, a house with a white picket fence, a wife with long blonde hair, and kids. And I quickly achieved all of those things. And I realized it wasn't doing it for me. And fortunately, when the economy crashed in 2008, my daughter called me the greatest dad in the world. And I thought, that's the journey that I need to go on, is being the greatest dad in the world, not worry about anything else. And that is what led me into talking to you today, essentially. And the advice that I would give to your friends is, um, you know, people get themselves in a lot of debt. Debt is the new slavery. And a lot of people are trying to buy their way back to happiness. But you get one life to live. And you, you, you got to find out what you're passionate about. And you got to, I started my coaching career very much on the side. Very, because I had a business. I had $6,000 a month in monthly expenses that I had to like satisfy. But I started out my coaching and speaking business on the side. Uh, I did it for one hour here and there. And then that person referred another person. And then it was a couple hours here and there. And then I found myself working on the weekends, uh, which is definitely not what I wanted to do. But as I started to build that up, I was able to start subtracting off the other stuff and now realize uh, sometimes you got to add to subtract, if that makes any sense. It does. And it's, I think what you're pointing out is some people who feel stuck Sometimes I wonder, and, and this, I don't mean this in a judgmental way, but I do wonder, I've noticed a trend of people who are, what they say and what they actually do, it's revealing, right? It's, it's, they're very different things. And so, you know, for example, someone says, well, I really want to start this business on the side. And I'll say, well, great. You know, on your way home from work, take, take half an hour to an hour and feed that business. You yeah, know, that's go, it. and that's exactly what you're talking about is it's, it's the side hustle that you develop to create into something actually sustainable, but, but I'll check in with people down the road and they haven't done that. They're still in the cycle. And I think part of it is they don't, I think maybe they don't want it bad enough, but I think also it's kind of what you're talking about. There's a bit of a mental shift that has to happen. You know, how you see time, you know, and, uh, you know, viewing your life with abundance rather than scarcity, you know, there's a lot that has to happen. It feels like in here before you can actually, you know, change those things. No, and it's very, I mean, once again, you're totally nailing it. I mean, the, the reality <laughs> is, um, depending on who you ask, we have between 40 and 60,000 thoughts per day. I mean, which I'm glad somebody else figured that out. <laughs> and if you talk to, you know, neuroscientists, they say your brain's about 97% programmed by the time you're 15 years old. So, which for me was 1987. So from 1987 till 2008, which was uh, 20, 21 years, 365 days in each one of those years, I had those same 60,000 thoughts 
every single solitary day. And that's really what people are up against. You start doing the math on that and you quickly understand why the vast majority of people set New Year's resolutions and have quit within a week. I think I read a statistic that 97% of the people quit like within one day. (laughs) And it's not because they're bad people, but they've had 60,000 thoughts seven days a week, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. And we live in such an instant gratification society that people forget the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first small step. I've heard someone call it iPod culture. Yeah. And it's, and it's uh, or uh, also BK culture, have it your way, you know, yeah. but, but iPod culture of, you know, and this, this would have been a decade ago, but whenever the iPod came out, I mean, you could just, you could just pick your song and have it just instantly. You could instantly play it. There was no struggle with it. I mean, other than like the obnoxious syncing with iTunes and all that stuff, but <laughs> you know, you get it on the iPod, you just play it, you have it. And that's how we view our life now is, I, I want it and I want to have it now. And if I can't have it now, then I have no, um, I have no inner, uh, it's, it's patience, it's commitment. It's, it's, you know, an ability to actually drive after something. And, uh, it's, it's, we live in an interesting culture today. I think everything you're saying is spot on. Well, speaking of iPods, it's a great way to illustrate the point. Like, would you like to hear the iPod story? Yeah. I apologize if I don't nail my dates here, so don't anybody get fixated and judge <laughs> if my dates are right. Angry comments or people are emailing me or review yeah. bombing me. <laughs> How I believe, though, the first iPod came out was with 2001? Uh, yeah. Yeah, 2001, uh, maybe. It, it, was, it was in the band of the year 2000 and 2004, somewhere in that gap. Right, so change the way everyone listens to music, whether or not they liked it, you know. Mm-hmm. My dad, I still, you know, get my tape player. (laughs) But what people don't know about the iPod when it came out is that it was about three or four months before the Generation 1 iPod even came out. Jobs got the engineers together. He got the designers together. He said, great work. Now build me Generation 2 iPod. People don't know that. So it was about 12 months later, Gen 2 iPod comes out. People line up to buy it. He repeats the same process for the third, the fourth. I think it was the fourth generation iPod had come out. 37 days later, Microsoft released their competing technology. Was that the Zune? Hey, yeah. You know, and whenever I tell this story in a room, there's always one person that knows the Zune. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anybody in the audience got a Zune? Yeah, crickets. Probably not. My dad yeah. actually has a Zoom. It's never been. That's yeah, all off. over the. He had the tape player, and then he went to the Zoom. He's he's got to think this through a little bit. <laughs> but he never he never turned it on. He never used it, but he still won't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Now, Microsoft, great company. Guarantee yeah, sure. you though. Guarantee if you asked them, they'd like to have a do over on that one. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the important part of the story, though, is there though in, in your lives. You've got to be hungry for transition like Apple. Or you end up as the Zune of human beings. Or you're the blockbuster video of human beings. Or the Sears or Toys R Us of human beings. 
So you can fight transition all you want, but that will be the story of your life if you keep fighting it. You know, and, and maybe this is a a plug for a coach just for like the sense of like the accountability piece, but, but yeah. separate from that, man, it also feels like there's this other side of, of the people you surround yourself with and like your friends and like how they are, how they're frankly pushing you to like get off your rear and like make some changes, right? I mean, we, we surround ourselves with people who they either promote what we're doing in our lives or they push us to do something different. And in the same situation, you know, have these engineers where you have Steve Jobs saying, hey, we got to get after it. We got to go. We got to make it happen. Otherwise, you're, you're going to miss it, right? Like Blockbuster, which is so wild, had an opportunity to buy Netflix and, and didn't. Uh, and I heard another example, another story of a company that could have bought another company that's major now, but I, I can't remember which one it was. But, but you know, it, it's board of directors or whoever was like, I think the story goes that they laughed him out of the room. They were like, no way we're not going to buy you. You're out of here. And within five years, they had, they had overtaken the marketplace, right? So yeah. your friends, having those voices that, can, that are trusted and can press you forward, I think that's also really important. I mean, I'm a heavily passion, passionate person about relationships. Um, and we have way too many codependencies out in the world right now versus true relationships. Mm. Because the purpose of every relationship should be that you're driving out one another's best version. There is not a single person in my life where I don't know what their dreams are. I don't know where they're, on, where they're at on their journey of becoming their best self, that I don't know their priorities. Because if I don't know that stuff, I can't be in a relationship with them. It's just a pointless waste of time. Uh, I mean, I, you need, I, I don't know why the fundamental uh, bedrock every relationship is built on isn't, hey, Blake, I know you got that dream where you want to reach a million people with your podcast this year. Is there anything I can help you with, Blake? And you tell me, and you go, man, John, thanks for asking, man. John, you know, I know you've got that dream of your daughter and use YouTube channel reaching a million people. Is there anything I can help you with on that? Like, why is that not the fundamental nature of every relationship instead of people getting together and talking about bull crap. Well, it's... it's oh, did you see the Super Bowl the other day? Wasn't that a great game? No, I was actually out in nature. I was playing with my kids, and we were enjoying this great creation we're on, not watching grown men develop concussions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's... in it, really what you're talking about is substance. And a lot of conversations are not... Frank, I mean, first of all, our culture is very good at pointing us inward, you know, me, 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 me. So, and you know, this person, like you meet a person and, and instantly they start talking about themselves and it's like, I don't even, you know, we just talked for half an hour and we didn't even get to me, you know, we were just talking about you, but then also it, a lot of these relationships are not substance driven. And I, I think, you know, and, and I'd love to get your perspective here. I think it, it also happens a lot with men 
where men, whether it's, it's seen as effeminate, whether it's seen as weak, whether it's seen as what have you, but a lot of men aren't having substance conversations. It is the very surface level. Would you think the game, you know, what's going on? Oh, did you see this? Oh, that's great. And it, it never penetrates past that first layer. And so then what you find is a lot of men who are just disconnected and they don't have, you know, those relationships that feed them. It's it's very true, my friend, and uh, we call it the soap opera lifestyle, where lots happens, but nothing really happens. <laughs> and uh, you know, definitely, I was a young man who loved my parents. By the way, I have no doubt they did the absolute best they could, but they were the parents that don't you cry. I'll give you something to cry about. Don't you be bored. I'll give you something to be bored about. And there's a great amount of the population that was taught to push their emotions deep, deep, deep inside. And uh, I was one of those kids. I was highly, highly sensitive. I'm an ENFJ. Uh, I was born that way. Always very highly sensitive. And I, I, I remember uh, growing up being picked last for all the sports teams at PE, being called horrible, horrible names. And thinking that my own sensitivity and emotions were a huge detriment. And I just thank, you know, once again, for me, I say thank God uh, that I met people like Jay Folk in the world and that I had this daughter who didn't know any better and called me the greatest dad in the world and, and made me realize that, you know, there's something way more than what I've been taught. I think, you know, over the last 12 years, you know, I've, lo I've read lots of amazing books, uh, but it's been more so of a unlearning process mm. because once again, to quote Henry David Thoreau, uh, he said, I regret that I was never as wise as the day I was born. Mm. And that is a quote people could reflect upon for days. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm <laughs> now I'm, I'm like, Oh man. Yeah. What do I, well, cause you, you just don't realize the things that are part of your mentality mm -hmm. that, that have come that are natural to you now, but, and not even, not even toxic things, mm -hmm. but that have been trained into you. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't mean it like in the conspiracy way of, <laughs> you know, the government's been sipping, you know, sending you laced fluoride or whatever, but, but, the things that we just, you know, and it's kind of like that question of why do you think that way? And we don't always, and it kind of goes back to your comment. We don't always even take the time to reflect and think these things through. We're a very busy culture. Yep. A, a reflective life is a very effective life. Uh, to quote the late, great Wayne Dyer, habits rule the unreflecting herd. Mm. You know, and you mentioned this, earlier about how our culture, it's interesting how this, this happens in other cultures, but even like doing like leadership development and like working with some senior executives, when, when I, whenever I talk about, and I've seen other people talk about this too, they talk about reflection, they even talk about like journaling and I see people like clam up, <laughs> like, like what, uh, I had a friend of mine actually who he his whole he was speaking and he told the whole story about this incredible executive and like the notes he would keep and the reflecting that he would do for his business 
And everyone in the room was kind of like, really? Like an actual executive did that? Like this incredible business owner did that? And it was a major, it's a previous major um, uh, uh, owner of this incredible company. Mm-hmm. But we're almost like in disbelief. And I almost even wonder if we kind of diminish it as, oh, that's just self-help crap. That's just fluff. Mm-hmm. It, there's even a lot of like mental barrier to people even indulging in what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's all very true. And I mean, I just challenge everyone uh, when you read a book, don't just read it and say, oh, that was a great idea. You've actually got to kind of pause when you hear something that hits you. You do need to journal it and you need to make it real in your life. Mm. I mean, just for instance, after the loss of Jay, uh, one of the first books I read was Man's Search for Meaning. And in that book that, in my opinion, should be required reading for everyone in school, uh, Victor Frankel, who survived Auschwitz, his wife, his unborn child, his parents did not. Uh, he talks about how in our lives, we're all going to experience suffering and that we have to create meaning from it. And that was kind of really, you know, there was a lot of little things, the, the card for my daughter, the loss of my friend, deciding to create meaning from it. Uh, that's how all this was born. But it's one of the things I tell people. There's a lot of great information out there, but you can't just read it. You've got to apply it. And what prevents people from applying it is ego. Mm. Oh, that's a great idea, but it doesn't apply to me. Like mm. you gotta, you gotta actually apply it. Yeah, and that's an explosive statement. I think if people could really, I think everyone should play back the last thirty seconds and hear exactly what you just said, because it's spot on. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's spot on. You got to not just read, but you've got to apply. Well, the irony is we have, we live in a culture where there is more access to actionable information than ever before. And yet, you know, we're struggling with some of the stuff we've struggled for the last 50 years. Yeah. And then the other, the other thing I like to mention to people as well is I see all these people these days where, you know, they want to be the next business guru. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want to go back to another Wayne Dyer quote and it's correct your mind and all else will fall into place. And it is getting yourself dialed in before wanting to jump to any of that stuff. Mm. If you're very committed to that, your life will turn out just the way that it should. Mm, I love that. You know, thinking about that ego blind, uh, it makes me think of a guy who was struggling in his business, really struggling. And I recommended, I don't know if you've ever read E-Myth Revisited uh, by Michael Gerber. Classic business book, really Mm -hmm. great. And uh, it's where I think it's where the original quote of working, you know, are you working on your business or in your business? Oh, yeah. Um, so I was telling him about this book and he's like, oh, I, that book was boring. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, it didn't apply to me. And I go, okay, well, it's, it's literally about a failing business, which is where you are. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, oh, yeah, well, I didn't really think of it that way. And I was like, yeah, th- you could have put your business name in the book and it would have been like case in point. But he just couldn't, he couldn't see it, right? Yeah. He, was, he just couldn't, um, ego or not, just couldn't really, it just didn't click for whatever reason. I think that happens a lot. 
No, man, look, everybody gets blind spots. I mean, here at our office, we're all coaches, and we're all coaches that have coaches. Mm -hmm. Because everybody gets blind spots. Well, it's just a fact. And, you know, and you and I are both biased in the sense of like the, the coaching side of it. It's obvious why it works and why it, it's right for us moving forward. Do you have any advice for someone who, who maybe, and I guess this is a shameless plug for yourself, but what, any advice for someone who's maybe they've thought of a coach, but maybe they're hesitant. Maybe they're thinking like, man, does that stuff even really work? Am I going to waste my money? I mean, there, frankly, there are like thousands of coaches out there. I mean, is, is this something that would be good for myself, my business, what have you? What advice do you have? I mean, look, I am all about having a coach. I mean, it's been such a thing uh, in sports for so many years. Uh, and we're really on the front, front end wave of it right now with, with people getting coaches and business getting coaches. Uh, but yeah, man, I'm all about like, look for referrals and look for a proven track record because, because there are, <laughs> I mean, just like really in any industry, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that probably shouldn't be calling themselves that. And it's, you know, even for myself, why I always ask for a paragraph after I've worked for someone for a while, we do lots of videos here. Mm. Cause that's a thing now. Yeah. But Spot on. Right. Get, give it, give it a chance. But if they don't have referrals, recommendations, testimonials, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I'm not saying they couldn't be good, but go, go with, go with your gut. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and, you know, you mentioned it, you said it and I agree our, our guru culture today you know, that feeling you have in your gut on this person in front of the Lamborghini, is mm -hmm. this too good to be true? Mm -hmm. Yes, it's too good to be true. <laughs> so yeah. go, go with substance, not, you know, chasing your own financial worries. No, I mean, it's why by and large, I'm a huge Wayne Dyer fan, a huge Victor Frankl fan, and, uh, you know, Matthew Kelly fan, like these guys had their backs against the wall. Uh, they made it out to the other side, and uh, that's where most people are at. And I, I like learning from people that that really did it. Yeah. Not to say there's not some great ones that, you know, didn't have that same journey. But for me, I, I, I like to deal with people who've been there. Well, I, I'll say I've learned a lot from you today. It's been an inspiring conversation. Man, I feel, I personally just feel renewed. I'm just like, yeah, I need to, I just need to keep getting after it. What, what can the audience do right now to engage with you, to follow you? I mean, give us, give us what's the best thing people need to be doing to, to engage with you. I mean, first off, and I mean, you know this now about me, Blake, like you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Dunn. Um, I'll never try to sell you a single thing. It's not, it's not who I am. Um, I also, you can, you can just directly email if you want, which is J. D-U-N-N at floydconsulting.com. Uh, that's, that's our business. Floyd stands for finally living out your dreams because that's what we help pe people do. Um, and I really mean it from the bottom of my heart. Like, please connect with me. Please send me a question. Like, I will just be happy to be of service. Uh, 
as long as we're focusing on our relationships, the rest of life will, will just take care of itself. But as far as an actionable item that everyone needs to be doing today is they need to be getting with their friends, they need to be getting with their family, and they need to dream 100 dreams. And I mean it, 100. It's not an arbitrary number. But that's really the first step in disrupting that 60,000 thoughts per day uh, that's going through your head and being prepared to take the next journey. Jonathan Dunn, man, I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. I have to ask you, since I now say it, I got to stick to my thing. What is your main dream, Blake? And what are you doing about it? Man, I, I have a hunger and a thirst to impact as many people as possible. You know, I, I just, I, I don't envision myself ever being on stage. I don't really envision myself, you know, in front of thousands of people. I want to do really good with the one, you know, the, the people who I touch, um, uh, that, that they would feel like, man, I'm just going to steal yours. They would be better off. You know, yeah. I, I really have, um, we, we often think about these huge platforms, right? I mean, everyone wants to be an influencer, but it's like, what about the people like your neighbor, right? And so I, I just, that's my drive. Um, and I want to see the business impact people in a positive way. I want to disrupt the noise of um, just BS and things that are not full of substance and give really good advice. And um, man, I just want to care for people. You know, I, we have some nonprofits here that I'm really, Ronald McDonald House is one that I'm really a huge fan of. So that's my shameless plug for them. Everyone go get involved with the Ronald McDonald House Charities organization. Um, but man, I, I would love just to remove the financial burden that is keeping some people from uh, moving forward in life. So that's, that's the reason for the business. It's to fuel that ambition. So love it. That's, that's I know amazing. what you're doing about it because we're doing it together right now. So yeah. you have to answer that part. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, and it's been incredible, man. I, I left my job a couple, I didn't do the side hustle. I wish I had, I just jumped right off and, uh, it was extremely hard, but, um, it's been really sweet. These last, uh, probably six to eight months it's been really yeah. sweet. So it's certainly a great approach for those that are like the polar bear divers. <laughs> well, I, and you know, I don't recommend it for anyone. The reason I had to was because I was working for a consulting firm and it felt like the honest the thing of integrity to do would not be to do it on the side. Cause really I should be, if I was working there, I should be sending those customers to my company that I was working at. And so it felt like the right thing to do was to leave, um, just to keep those boundaries, um, safe, I guess. So yeah. anyway, that's me, man. Well, kudos to you, brother. It's been a All pleasure. Right. For our listeners, man, thank you for tuning in and listening. If you have never checked out the podcast before, go ahead and click that subscribe button. And if you enjoyed this episode, man, I would ask you shamelessly for a five-star review. Tell your friends about it. Tell your family about it. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you later. See ya.